Welcome to Season 10 of Purposeful Empathy, a show that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe who understand that the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. I want to thank all of you for watching. Our first 100 episodes garnered over 20,000 organic views. I couldn't do it without you. Please share, please subscribe, and enjoy the show. Welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today, I'm joined by Tom Dennis, a speaker, facilitator, change agent, consultant, and educator. He's also the founder and leader of Serenity in Leadership, a culture change consulting firm that looks at what's working and what isn't in a workplace and then actively helps orchestrate positive change. He is passionate about resolving the breadth of issues around good leadership and brings healing and renewal to the faces of dysfunction in the workplace. With an MSc in change agent skills and strategies, expertise as a certified facilitator accredited by the, QC, the CQ Center, and an LLP. NLP master practitioner, he combines his experience of 17 years as a Royal Marines officer with extensive consultancy work around the world for the past 30 years. Welcome to the show, Tom. Anita, thank you very, very much. It's uh, it's very exciting to be with you. I've, I've uh, seen um, sort of not a lot, but some of your work and, and uh, I love it. Yeah. Well, I've seen some of your work and love it. It was, I'm sure the reason why we connected in the first place is that you wrote something brilliant and that I discovered it through a search for my daily empathy uh, posts and we connected on LinkedIn. And then when I learned more about you, I said, oh, you'd make for a great guest. And I've gone onto your YouTube um, uh, uh, um youtube channel. channel and i'll include the link in the description for everybody else to have access to and i think that you um have had a, a a fantastic set of guests with really great conversations and i'm curious about two things before we kick off formally let's talk about your podcast serenity and leadership for a second i'd love to know why you chose the name serenity and leadership um as sort of part of your core branding and then also any big lesson learned through all of the podcasts that you've done over the last little while, like a meta takeaway? Mm. Well, the word um, serenity um, or serenity in leadership, uh, my, my original company was called Phoenix Obsidian, and we can have a whole story about what the Phoenix and the Obsidian uh, meant. Um, but when I came back from the US, I lived in the US for, for six years, and um, I did a, a year's sort of consultancy in one of the, the the big banks in this country when I came back. And then that, that work stopped. Um, the, the atmosphere in the bank was enough. And and I, I, um, I decided to sort of really explore what was motivating me and, you know, to sort of get into to the depths of me a little. Um, and so I, I went off really around the world and I did all sorts of retreats. And it was after a darkness retreat where I'd spent seven, seven days in the dark um, in India. And I came out from that. Um, and I was talking with the, the, the people that I'd, um, I'd uh, been um, sort of ensconced with. And 
one of the things that had really come out of the the um, the journey of exploration was this this uh, we'll probably talk about it the traits of the masculine and the feminine <clears throat> and how the world as as i saw it see it looking forward particularly it just needs the feminine and uh um so we we were we were talking about that and I, and i thought how can i how can i combine what i feel now which is a kind of serenity with this this going forward of um lo looking at what are the skills that we need for the future um that are different to the ones that have got us to where we are now mm. and really um i'm not every i'm not sure that everybody would accuse me of being serene but that that is certainly my my uh my aim and and uh it, it's really clear to me that one of the key leadership skills for the future is um leaders understanding themselves having a a, a window into themselves and a, a much greater level of understanding and because everything's so chaotic and crazy and changing um the the person who can be more serene is the is the person who people will look to and um will be more able to make good decisions mm -hmm. and just you know i mean i'm sorry i'm giving you a long long answer to this but the the, the other image i've i've had for a long time is um i was lucky enough to go down the grand canyon um you know rafting which is uh, you may know it's a, it's really a 21 day journey and one of the things that really struck me was seeing the canoeists who went with us and you know we we'd have a whole journey a whole experience going down each of the rapids very very different but to look at the canoeists going down it's like you submit yourself to a route you 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 decide where you're going to go but once you're there once you're going that's it you you're you're there's only one way and that's down uh, and and what they're doing is they're they're making very small um, alterations of course as they go go through but you can't think about it oh there's this rock here or oh there's that 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 um, pool there no you just you, you're 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 steering from your gut and it's those those moments of actually serenity inside yourself which allows your instinct and your intuition to guide you to make the right alterations see so, so you're you've surrendered to the environment but you're just making small alterations to 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 get through and you can only hear that voice if there if there's a level of serenity in you wow <laughs> that's that's profound i love that and obviously there's echoes i i assume you know the work of otto Scharmer at mit on presencing. Mm. Yeah, I hear so much of that. I think that's a very, very powerful um, vision. And now I have, okay, I want to come back to the feminine and masculine. I promise we'll get to that. But because you've aroused my curiosity, we have to go back to the name of your previous company because you've put me out there. <laughs> I'm dangling. Maybe some other listeners and viewers are dangling. What's that about? Um, the phoenix is a beautiful bird. It lives. Um, I mean, it's a. Uh, apart from Harry Potter, it, it's a. Uh, 
Um, it's a mythological bird. So it lives for 500 years, then it dies and it rises from the ashes, you know, it catches fire and dies. But the point for me was not the rebirth, it was the longevity and the strength of the bird. And, and actually on um, my website, I used to have an image of someone just riding on the back of a bird. So the idea was, come fly with me. I will lift you up and you'll be able to see it, it, much more broadly where you're at and where you want to go. So it's fly with me and I will I will help you see. Um, and the obsidian, um, obs obsidian is, is volcanic glass, but traditionally it's been used as um, a healing and also a grounding stone. So it's come fly with me. We'll look at the whole picture, but at the same time, we'll stay grounded. Grounded in in you know what's really important and funny enough, I mean that that is obsidian. <laughs> it's rather beautiful, but I, I've got bits of obsidian all over the place. But this one sort of turned up on my desk a, a little while ago, and it's been sitting here. Oh, fantastic! Well, thank you for indulging that. You're a raconteur, you know that a storyteller par excellence. So um, you have explored the masculine and feminine. Uh, and how they are expressed or not expressed. And there's like confusion that feminine only means woman and masculine only means man and all of that. Um, could you unpack that whole idea of the masculine and feminine energy? You've alluded to the fact that we need more feminine energy. That sounds like we need more women, but that's not what you mean. So what do you mean? The, the, for some people, this is quite controversial. I'm, I'm sad that it's controversial, but it, you know, it just is. Um, and I think I, I've got some insights, for me anyway, as to why, but we perhaps go to that. Um, th th there are traits which traditionally have been attributed to the, to the masculine and traits to the feminine. Um, the, 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 the masculine is, um, it often has a sort of courage um uh it's outward looking it's active it's confidence there's inner strength responsibility um logical um setting direction assertiveness courage all these kind of things and then um on on the feminine there's um intuition unconditional love, understanding, tenderness, nurturing, um, feeling, sensitivity, um, emotion, and so on. And um, if one can accept for a moment that, that the whole premise is that we are a mixture of both. And we are because we've been, we've been born with part of this, and then we've been conditioned to, to grow up in a particular way um and and uh, i think that's actually very beautiful now people don't some people don't like the masculine feminine so they you you could say the yin and the yang you could say shiva shakti um you know different different traditions have have used these things but it's all always this this is kind of construct of of one or the other but they aren't um extremes if you like everybody's on a continuum of each of these things you know I've, I've been challenged by by 
um, women so often say, what do you mean courage is a masculine trait? I've got courage. And I have to keep saying yes. And that is a beautiful trait that you have. And it's a masculine trait. And hallelujah for that. Where I think really things really go wrong is when you get sort of slightly more into the dysfunctional aspects um, of, of these. And you look at most organizations, most, an awful lot of organizations, and you will see the masculine is uh, emphasized and the dysfunctional masculine is often um, uh, leading or dominating in some sense. And, you know, some people call it the the, the wounded masculine. I, I like to call it the, the the dysfunctional one, you know, the, the perpetrator, the abuser of power, the dominant, the aggressive, the, the need for control, competition, um, abuse, uh, and instability and so on. And, and, you know, there's a, there's a dysfunctional feminine as well. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, you know, going forward, I, I really, really think that we've got to get away from this, this sort of mindset that so many women feel, I think, as a man, I think, you know, I apologize if I'm mansplaining, I'm really not wanting to do that. But um this need you know to sort of power dress um this need to um be assertive uh um or to to say uh, you know when when a man or a couple of men say turn around to the only woman in the room and uh, of equals and say can you make the tea and the woman accepts and it's like the the We've got to get past that. We've got to get to a, a place where the feminine, whether it be in a man or a woman, has equal voice. I'm always reminded of, you know, years ago, I'd, I, I was in the, in the Marines and I served in Northern Ireland. And it was really at the height of the troubles. And there was a moment when all the mothers said, enough. And they all went out on the streets and started marching. And it's like all the men were, were just naughty boys. <laughs> and this sort of strong, the, the I, I would like to say the feminine goddess, the, the goddess came out and said, enough. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I think that was part of that, uh, that contributed eventually to, to the Good Friday Agreement. Mm. I could go on. I mean, the, 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 there's there's so much dysfunction in in the masculine at the moment. Well, I think you just posted a video recently speaking specifically as a case to the London Fire Brigade. So could you maybe like share a little bit about that because it's so specific and um, it'll bring to life the what's what you're talking about. Mm. Well, um, the London Fire Brigade they they actually tasked. <clears throat> um this 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 guy um i can never remember his his name but <clears throat> it'll come to me but he he studied for a year what was going on in the in in the london fire brigade really looking at uh, abuse um uh abuse by men of women um harassment um and not only that um, a lot of racism, 
uh, and even abuse of um, women when the, 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 the famine uh, visited people's homes to give them advice about uh, fire safety. Um, the, when the woman wasn't looking, they were looking into the, her underwear drawer and, and sort of taking things as trophies and taking pictures. I mean, it was awful, awful. Um, and the, the, um, the, the report sort of has, has really gone into this in depth and, and, uh, they, they've made 21, um, recommendations and the, the commissioner of the, um, fire brigade has said, I accept them all and we're going to do them. My, my, my point was that, I mean, yes, that's fantastic. But we live in a society where this this kind of behavior is so condoned in so many ways. We can we can have all the outrage we want, but actually very little is changing. Mm. And uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I can go back to 2013 when I was at the offshore technology conference in Houston and they had Maria Graças da Silva who was the CEO of Petrobras at the time, one of the biggest oil companies in the world. And she gave this talk on uh, what, um, what it's like being a woman in a man's world. Now, because she was Brazilian, I think, she, she talked about abuse as part of her, her, her talk and how difficult it had been to go up, you know, through the ladder, right to the very top of this, this organization. And whew, one of the experiences I had there, I mean, there was probably about, about 150 women in the room and about four men. And I was sitting at a round table. And remember, we're in, in Texas. And as she was talking, I could feel the temperature of the room rising. I, it, the, the, the sense of anger that this woman was giving permission, essentially, for people to feel became palpable. And I, it was actually quite scary mm. to be there and to feel that. But one of the things that she said that I I remember so clearly was, this is not for women. Mm. This is for men. This is now for men to step up and make the difference mm. and that was really the the beginning of, of my journey there was to say i hear you mm. and i feel your anger mm. and i feel in 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 a sense and certainly archetypally responsible so i want to make a difference and so uh, in in my video talking about the the the, the fabricator I, I i just said this is for men to step up uh, you know, I, I used to run um, uh, dialogues, Bohemian dialogue sessions around Me Too and Time's Up, you know, the hashtags. And the idea was to explore what was the effect of those on people in the workplace. And, you know, we'd always have lots of women who turned up and almost exclusively maybe one or two men. Men don't want to enter into this conversation, and that's something you know you can we can explore if you want. 
but I, I, I just think it's so important that men actually do engage with this conversation. Uh, and until they do, and until they are prepared to accept some responsibility, nothing's going to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think um, nobody wants to be called out as sexist, just like nobody wants to be called out as racist. But what we are still not fully willing to embrace is that it's not about just individual acts or just individual ways of being. It is the systemic kind of space in which we all swim and the systems that keep those ways of being in place, almost self-perpetuating, um, where we're, you know, white supremacy and sexism exist as superstructures. Um, and it's a matter of kind of realizing that, and I, it, there is um, a, a Brazilian, speaking of Brazil, or no, your, your lady was from Brazil, right? That you just, yeah. Um, Paulo Freire uh, grew up very poor. His father died. His mother had, they had a bunch of children. And as a result of his dad dying, deep poverty. So he understood the indignity of poverty. And um, he wanted to devote his life to educating the poor working class of Brazil. And he said that he it's a um, uh, Portuguese word, which I can't pronounce, but the English translation is conscientization. This moment of being becoming aware that you actually have agency. And if enough people turn towards this agency, we can actually change systems. And I think the invitation is also aligned with purposeful empathy that if you look around, there are people that are suffering given the systems that exist in the world, including ourselves, our mental health, our spiritual development, you know, the degree to which our consciousness has evolved. And if we turn in purposeful empathy to help others, so men turning as allies to help women, for example, everybody benefits in that equation because then men also can gain access to what you're calling and others are calling the feminine energy that is so needed for the world. I mean, if we think about like the ecosystem, we're so out of balance. Um, when we think about eight men who have the same combined wealth as the 400, the, the 4 billion people in the bottom of the, the base, that doesn't make sense. Like if you're an alien coming down to the planet and just those two data points alone would be like, they're not, that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous way of living. So, um, I feel that the invitation that you are extending to men is also an invitation to purposeful empathy. If you're enjoying this conversation, I bet you'll love reading my book, Purposeful Empathy, Tapping Our Hidden Superpower for Personal, Organizational, and Social Change. We are living in the era of a massive empathy deficit, but humans are wired to care and we can become more empathic with practice. And the more you do, the better you'll feel. Please visit your favorite online retailer and order your copy today. You know, given the last couple of years, because you're you've worked been working in this space for a long time, what do you think the pandemic has done in terms of changing our perception of of human relations, uh, empathy, um, how 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 things have changed? It's complex. Um. That 
I think a lot of people have realized that the 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 working pattern which came out of Victorian times or or before, I mean going back to the workhouse and, and before that, um is not set in stone. So an awful lot of people who uh never imagined that they could work from home or or at least split their time between home and 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 the the office um has has changed and when you don't have to commute that has done um that that's released an extraordinary amount of time it's enabled more men to spend time with their children um and I think it's been extremely threatening for a lot of managers who actually haven't really understood what the function of a manager is. Um, so there's this um, relinquishing of control, which is very difficult for a lot of people. And I think it's extended some of the the the, the habits of bullying online even more than there were before the, uh, the the pandemic i think enabled a number of systems like governments like the media to propagate fear in spades uh and i think that um a, an awful lot of people in the world are still feeling that and they're feeling um but they're not they don't necessarily see it as that but you know suicide has gone up uh, drug abuse has gone up um uh, depression has gone up uh and abuse has gone up by the way so so all these are are if you like steam coming out of a a pressure cooker uh and one manifestation of that is what's happening in Iran. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, that this 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 pressure cooker that's existed for so many years is is now expressing itself in extraordinary ways. And, and I don't know which way that's going to go. Um, But it, it and in China, of course, you've got effect for different reasons. Um, and so it, it's affected us in all sorts of ways. Uh, um, and, and, and so in, in a sense, that's a great advert for, for developing the skill of empathy. Because each person's experience has been so different. You know, if you've lived in a house with you know three spare rooms and, and you've set one up as an office and you know it's it's you know i'm all right jack whereas if you live in a one-room flat and you've got children and 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 uh or you haven't you, your job requires you to be at work you know you look at just the health service and and what's happened to to nurses and doctors so if you like, the world is crying out for a greater level of empathy, to to be actually to 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 witness and be with somebody's experience, and not to say to them, "I understand how you feel," because you probably don't. 
but just to listen to them and be with them in their experience. We, we really need to learn that skill. Now, scientists uh, know that we're hardwired for empathy, right? They know that. We know that intuitively too, I think. But how come there's just seems to be such a empathy deficit in our society? Why do you suppose? Well, I'll tell you what, speaking personally, I was thinking about this earlier today, um, and I've, I've not quite voiced this yet, I don't think. But I think I have an empathy gap. It's a skill that I need to really adopt. And I think, um, you know, I don't remember anything from before the age of eight. And then I went to boarding school. Uh, and I was definitely traumatized at the boarding school, um, you know, from, by, a, by a headmaster who was a sadist. Uh, um, and a very violent man. And I've been listening to a lot of Gabor Mate. I, I really, you know, I have, uh, he's such an amazing man. But I, I, as I, the more I've been listening to him, the more I, I think, I, I, for very different reasons, I feel like I've had a very similar journey to him. I mean, he was abandoned very early on. His mother gave him away for the very best reasons. I don't know what happened to me, um, but you know, I, 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 I'm sure if I took the ADHD tests, I would, I would be seriously on that. I mean, meditating is such a challenge for me to find that serenity, <laughs> that inner peace, to be able to hear the inner voice, which I so want to hear. Um, so for me. The, the ability to empathize is a skill that I really have to practice and learn. And I mean, what certainly in this country is, is kind of ironic in a way that you've got so many politicians who went through a similar boarding school experience that I did, who were all the people in power. And um, with without having done the work and I you know I've I've been in therapy one way or another since well for at least the last 31 years dealing with this stuff or trying to but you see all these politicians and actually if you if you put a certain set of lenses on they're all 10 years old or slightly younger behaving in that way and yet they're in adult bodies and if you see it in that way it's seriously scary um and and somehow because of the systems that we live in they have been given the power we have given them the power so i don't i don't know whether i'm really answering your question why is that why isn't there enough empathy i think really because an awful lot of us are traumatized um you know and if you if you if you if you accept what gabo mate says and i really do you know, I, I think he's 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 so spot on with the way he explains, you know, our our dissociation from our bodies and nature. Um, 
our, our conditioning actually takes us away from empathy, not towards it. Hmm. Which again is one of the things that, you know, I, I, that's why I cry out for the feminine because by definition, the feminine is more in women than it is in men. And I think that's one of the reasons why empathy naturally comes more easily to women. And it's why on the whole, organizations led by women are more empathetic mm. on the whole. I mean, there's some very masculine oriented women, but you know, so we, we need to listen to these people mm. um, and, and just accept as I try and do that. This is, is not a skill that I find easy. Hmm. Now you do work uh, as a coach and and working with organizational cultures. Um, I'm sure you come across uh, some resistance. I get often asked the question, yeah, empathy sounds amazing, but we're a high performance culture. So it doesn't have space for that. So I imagine you get the pushback, like we're a high performance culture, like femininity. I don't know. You know, I'm just curious to know what are, what in your opinion are ways in which leaders can practice becoming more empathic? One of the things that I try and do, I mean, almost always when I facilitate, I get people sitting in a circle. And uh, um, when they want to do it in the boardroom and, and the table is screwed to the floor, I normally say, let's find a different room <laughs> because I want people sitting in a circle because there's a beauty in, in a circle because there's, there isn't the same hierarchy mm -hmm. and people can see each other. Mm -hmm. And when I start, I, 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 I want people to have a check-in and a check-in you know, already you've got resistance coming up. Uh, you know, come on, come on. You know, let's get on with the meeting. We've got things to cover. And I'm saying, no, I want everyone to be present. And I've seen some amazing, uh, well, yes, some amazing examples of people who have been able to say how truly they are. And if you get one or two of them, doing that it creates a permission in the room and all of a sudden even if it's at the back of people's other people's minds they say huh okay well that was that touched me even if i don't want to admit that that kind of touched me um and what you're doing actually is allowing space for the human being uh as as opposed to the director of this and the leader of that and the you know the c whatever oh of 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 the the company so and, and you know i mean i i i had this extraordinary example when i when i did my master's degree um of this one of the tutors who, um, we used to do long check-ins long 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 check-ins with lots of silence where you know people were just you know, stuff was going on for them. So that when they did say something, it had it had a meaning, you know. 
but he he um he said uh he'd just come from the hospital and his son was dying of cancer and what what he did was to say that and he actually he wept a little and he wasn't the victim he was truly expressing that feeling it was real it was authentic and then he said and now i put that to one side because i'm the tutor here and how i'm feeling as the tutor is this is this is this completely different state is a sort of and, and i was blown away by it and I, you know i mean i still remember it very clearly uh, and i'm not suggesting everybody does that but what i'm what i think is really important is for people to be able to say this is a reason that i may not actually be able to be entirely present here because uh, you know i nearly ran over a kid when i dr drove in this morning and i'm still dealing with that or you know my my son uh, broke his leg two days ago and it's really difficult at home dealing with all that whatever we're human beings let's let's allow that and, and the second part of that is listening so that whole process encourages people to listen and if we just did so much more of that how amazing that would be mm. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. I can visualize the the team meeting. I can visualize the circle. I find the circle such a powerful metaphor. Um, it's a story for another day. I You have been very generous with your time. I have time for one more question with your indulgence. Uh, it's a question that I love to ask my guests at the end of the podcast. I never know what to expect, uh, but I always delight in the response. And that is, can you think of a time in your life when you were on the receiving end of empathy Empathy on purpose, um, and what that meant for you. Mm. Sorry, I feel like I've talked too much. <laughs> no, you're the guest on the podcast. That's the way it's supposed to be. Um, some years ago, I went to a a um, a, a family constellations sort of. I, I don't know what you call it, jamboree. It was. I mean, there were three and a half thousand people there. It was very big. It was in. Würzburg in Germany. And on the third day, I think it was, um, Harris Noen was there. He was the sort of the, 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 the creator of open space as a, as a methodology. And so we all went off and we, we were doing our own things. And I was sitting in a circle. And uh, it was random, you know, just how people um came together and you, you know what the universe is like it, it creates moments <laughs> and sitting dead opposite me in the circle there was about maybe 15 people in the circle something like that was a woman I'd never met her before I didn't know her at all and I was talking um and I honestly I can't remember what I was talking about but I was speaking as I I am now, and I, I have something of a distinctive English accent. This woman came from the troubled part of Northern Ireland. And in me, she saw 300 years 
of oppression. And I don't deny that oppression, but I was in that moment a representative of everything that she utterly and totally hated. And so she projected that all onto me. Uh, and I, I didn't respond. I mean, she was really hating in, in what she said. And this guy who I subsequently met and worked with, but in that moment, I'd, I had not met him before. A guy called Richard, Richard Wallstein, who was just over there. I mean, she was there and he was just over there. I remember it. And he just got up quietly. And he walked around and I can, you know, I can really feel it. And he just put his hands on my shoulders from behind. And he stood there. And I've never felt so supported in my life as I did in that moment. And she finished and that, and somebody else said something. And when it had just eased back, he just took his hands off and he went back and sat in his chair. I'll never forget that. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have to speak up in your defense. He was just acknowledging the pain you must have been feeling and not knowing what to do and just letting you feel his support. That's a beautiful story. That is a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. And I think the reason why I ask this question all the time, again, I, I had no idea what you would share, is to be reminded how we all have experiences in our lives where we have felt others' empathy and it has marked us, it has stayed with us, it has sustained us. And we can extend empathy the same way. It's accessible to all of us. It feels good when we do it. Let's do more of it together. Mm, purposeful empathy. Hallelujah. Tom, it's been a pleasure to meet you and share part of my afternoon with you. Uh, thank you for sharing the tears. Um, I should tell all of the listeners and viewers that we had a good conversation about the royal family pre-Zoom uh, <laughs> pre call, which, uh, I don't know, made me love you. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to all our, our viewers and our listeners. Thank you for watching another episode of Purposeful Empathy. Remember, this show is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe who understand that the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. If you want to get involved, share this video, subscribe to this channel. See you next week. Thank you so much.